Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host. I thought a good verse to start the year out would be found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a great verse that tells us how to have connection with God. We need to be crucified with Christ. We have to realize that Jesus died in our place on the cross. And because of the great sacrifice he made, it means that we need to be crucified and be dead to sin and dead to the things of this world and alive to Christ. And it says we live by faith. We trust God for everything. We don't trust the world. We don't trust our own efforts. We don't trust people around us. We trust only Christ. And as we live by faith, God blesses us and uses us and helps us to reach out to a lost and fallen world. We need to be light in such a dark age. This month our Mission Moments will focus on an important ministry partner with Canada National Bible Hour and Mission Go Ministry. Shalom Ministries Incorporated was founded in 1996 and was born out of a need to reach the 2 million Jewish people of the New York metropolitan area. Our New York-based ministry has been stirred to challenge churches to have a burden for and develop an outreach to the Jewish people in their communities. Though based in New York, this ministry is not limited to this area. They endeavor to reach out to the Jewish people through local churches worldwide. They work very closely with these churches in training their members in Jewish evangelism and in understanding the customs and culture of their Jewish friends. Understanding the Jewishness of Christianity will better equip the believer to have an in-depth comprehension of his or her Bible and to be a more effective witness among his or her Jewish friends. Further, Understanding the proper place of Israel from a biblical perspective will enable Christians to better understand current events and things yet to occur. So I'd like to first ask Dr. Hartman to share his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ. Well, greetings, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and I hope that this will be a, a meaningful and productive uh, time for those that may be listening in. Yes, I'm a Jewish man. And I'm also a Christian man, uh, a messiah, if you will. If we want to be technical. Um, I'm uh, originally from New York City and raised in, in the city of New York and spent most of my life as a native New Yorker. Um, grew up in a Jewish home. And I had an earth, a life-changing, earth-shattering experience when I was six. 
six years old, contemplating what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I turned on the television and met my hero for life, Perry Mason, attorney at law. And uh, from that moment forward, every decision that I made in my life was geared toward getting to be just like him, or at least as close to him as possible, which meant, of course, setting my sights toward law school as a child, which I did. And so I made my way along the way to uh, through college and law school, and I finished law school and went on for, for further education, actually. And then ultimately, and when that was coming to a close, I, I got a job in a, in a firm in Manhattan where I met a believer who, who the Lord arranged for me to be uh, stuck in a room with. We, we were forced to share an office. And it was a room that the door didn't work right. So it, it, we couldn't get it. We couldn't keep it open. It was always shutting. So I was basically locked in the closet with a believer who was an expert. It just so happens, right, in um, in what, what Jews think and what the rabbis think and uh, in messianic theology and things of that nature. Now, my wife is a uh, Roman Catholic from background. And and, and this and he was this, this gentleman that I shared the office was. And so. We had already purposed in our hearts to learn everything we could about Rome and about Judaism to be able to pass that information on to our children. I don't recommend that nowadays, but that was the way we were thinking then as an unsafe uh, couple. And ultimately, um, that curiosity and here's a live one to help me answer some of my questions. And of course, I'm condensing a great, a great deal over the course of several years. He ended up uh, witnessing and uh, on an almost daily basis. Uh, to me and my wife, and we ultimately became believers in Yeshua, uh, I in October of 89 and she in January of 1990. And we were actually baptized together in June of 1990. So that's that's sort of in a very, very quick nutshell, uh, the story of how I came to faith. And in my case, just to add one more point, what ultimately uh, sealed the deal for me was uh, fulfilled prophecy. Right. Some of the Old Testament prophecies, when written, were prophetic, but are now historic. And so we can look back on the fulfillment. And um, that got my attention that the Bible was a little bit different. It took a while to get there. But then ultimately studying the resurrection, because using even tests of evidence or tests of evidentiary analysis, um, the, the resurrection, in my mind, and I think anybody's if they come with an open mind, would see is a historical fact. And therefore, everything else flows from it, because I believe this the true symbol, with all due respect to people that like to wear crosses around their neck, and I'm not arguing with that, but the true symbol of biblical Christianity is an empty tomb. Now, that's hard to put around a neck on a necklace because it's empty. But the point is, if the tomb is empty, he's he's Lord. And if it's empty because he rose, that is, if, if they with shenanigans played and they hid the body, then it's all a lie. So it all stands and falls there. And when I became convinced of that, that was what ultimately sealed the deal, as I as I said. Very good. So let's fast forward a little bit and talk about sharing briefly, if you will, about your ministry to Jewish people as a, form, a Jew who is now a believer in Jesus Christ. How do you reach them for Christ? Well, a couple of things happened when I started going to church. Right after, you know, right, right when we got saved, the gentleman that led us to the Lord recommended a church, and we started going to church. And two things struck me right away. Um, number one, there weren't a lot of Jews there, and I thought that was a shame. 
because I believe if anybody comes with an open mind to the to history and, and theology, they will come to the realization that Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, is and was the Hebrew Messiah. And number two, the people that were at church had a desire of understanding better the Jewish roots of, of their faith. I mean, in New York, believers, no matter who they are, um, they understand that Christianity has got some sort of a Jewish element to it. And the more people understand the Bible, the more they realize it's all Jewish, right? It's all, the Bible is written almost entirely by Jews to Jews about Jewish stuff, right? So um, so there were these two observations, the need for Jews to, to hear the gospel and come to the, the truth that I did, but also to get the word out to the believers that aren't Jewish to understand their Bible better and to understand their Bible better to see it from a Jewish perspective. And if people are seeing the Bible through Jewish eyes, if you will, which is actually the title I chose for the book I wrote, um, they will always remember the Jews. And so in a way, it's 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 kind of a way of helping to edify the church, but also to get people more involved in reaching Jewish people. Because the sad thing is, the overwhelming majority of Bible-believing Christians, and I'm talking about truly Bible-believing Christians, will spend their entire lives uh, walking with the Lord and never share the gospel with a Jewish person. It's just a fact. And um, a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but that is a fact. And so um, whatever... I just felt like whatever I could do uh, to get the word out, I wanted to do that. Well, thank you, Dr. Hartman. Join us next week as we continue our discussions with Dr. Craig Hartman, author of Through Jewish Eyes. There are many causes of hopelessness. The most common is placing our confidence in things that can fail. Money, health, beauty, and status. Painful circumstances can cause us to lose hope in other people or circumstances. God wants to work out his purposes for you and ultimately give you peace that passes all understanding. In the booklet Hope Your Soul you'll learn what all of the unreliable anchors are, and how to place your hope in on the anchor that will never fail. To order your copy, of the booklet Hope, The Anchor of Your Soul, please write to, Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210. St. Catharines, Ontario, L2 or 7A7 or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, Faith Once Delivered. Printed copies are available upon request. Today we begin a new series of talks entitled, The Faith Which Was Once Delivered Unto the Saints. Those of you familiar with your Bibles will at once recognize that this title is taken from the third verse of the book of Jude, which reads, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, 
that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude was one of the four sons born to Mary and Joseph after the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Judas and Judah are variations of the name Jude. In fact, the derivative Judah is used instead of Jude in Mark 6.3, where the scribes, questioning Christ's supernatural wisdom and power, said, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? They, of course, believe that Joseph, Mary's husband, was also the father of Jesus, rejecting the fact that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and was therefore literally the Son of God. Because Mary was the mother of both Jesus and Jude and his brothers and sisters, they were half-brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Jude, recognizing that this was of no significance in comparison to the deity of Christ, does not even mention their relationship through Mary, but refers to himself only as the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, who was much more widely known in the early church than Jude. Jude, in his deep desire to see the early Jewish Christians gain a deeper understanding of what he referred to as the common salvation, applied himself diligently to the preparation of an epistle with that objective. But his intentions were set aside when the Holy Spirit directed him instead to address to the believers a strongly worded letter, exhorting them that they should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The faith once delivered is, of course, God's written revelation of eternal truth, which we know today as the inspired books of the Old and New Testaments, or, in other words, the Bible. God willing, what I propose to do in this new series of talks is examine into the great fundamental doctrines which are the highlights of the faith which God, by the Holy Spirit, delivered unto the saints, when he caused holy men of God to speak and write the inspired scriptures, not as they chose, but as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Because God so moved to put into the possession of finite men a word-perfect revelation of his absolute and eternal truth that's forever settled in heaven, he could and does say of his finished work, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For the prophecy, or revelation, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is the source from which, and the means by which, there came into our possession in written form what Jude speaks of as the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The great highlights of that faith once delivered that I'd like to examine with you for the next several weeks include such all-important matters as the divine verbal inspiration and preservation of the infallible scriptures, the deity of Jesus Christ, the role of 
Christ's blood atonement in the reconciliation of men and women to God, Christ's literal bodily resurrection from the dead, his literal bodily ascension after his resurrection, the revelation of the gospel of grace to the Apostle Paul, the mystical body of Christ or universal church, the translation of the saints at the end of this church age, the literal future personal return of Jesus Christ to this earth to take over the management of world affairs, the literal future resurrection of the dead of all ages and their status in eternity, the coming future judgments of believers in Christ, the nations of this earth and the unbelieving dead, the coming kingdom of heaven on this earth, and finally, the promised new heaven and new earth, wherein there will be nothing that offends, and which will continue forever. Now that's a pretty formidable list of highlights, but every one of them is important to you and to your loved ones and friends, because it is your knowledge of and reaction to these great eternal truths that determines your attitude to the Bible, to God himself, and to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your attitude in turn influences your response to what God asks you to believe and what he asks you to do for your own good both here and in the world to come. An examination into these great revealed truths is not a theoretical religious exercise, but an intelligent and realistic act on the part of those wise enough to be interested in and concerned about their relationship with God and their eternal destiny. I hope you'll join us each week by your radio, and I hope you'll encourage your friends and acquaintances to listen. Some of you may wish to obtain the talks in manuscript form or on cassettes for group study and discussion. Manuscripts of the talks are available free of charge and postpaid on request. The talks will be available on cassettes at cost when the series is completed. Do let us hear from you if you're interested. Next week, God willing, we'll deal with the divine verbal inspiration and preservation of the infallible scriptures. Did God give a perfect written revelation of his eternal truth to mankind at some point in time past? And if so, has he preserved that perfect revelation down through the centuries to this present time? In other words, do we today have a word-perfect translation of the Bible which we can say with absolute confidence is the verbally inspired, divinely preserved, infallible and inerrant word of God? As a preliminary to our examination into what the Scriptures affirm regarding all these great cardinal doctrines of the faith which was once delivered, may I ask you to take note of what the Scriptures themselves say is the key to an intelligent understanding and acceptance of the Bible. I direct your attention to two significant statements. The first is in 1 Corinthians 2.14 and reads, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, 
because they are spiritually discerned. The second is also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. One of the things of the Spirit of God referred to in the first of these passages is the preparation of the written revelation of divine eternal truth, which Jude calls the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The Scriptures themselves and the human writers involved stress repeatedly that the Holy Spirit of God was the author of all Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, you find the human writers making statements like that recorded of King David of Israel in 2 Samuel 23.2, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and His word was in my tongue. Isaiah 51.16 records God saying to the prophet, I have put my words in thy mouth. Moses prefaced numerous of his recorded statements with the words, Thus saith the Lord, thereby disclaiming the authorship of what he wrote. Even the Lord Jesus, though he was the Son of God, stressed that he conveyed the truth of God to mankind, not in his own words, but in words selected by his Father and given to him to speak. An example is his prayer to God his Father and on the last evening he spent with his disciples before his betrayal and crucifixion. In John 17, beginning at verse 6, he said in his prayer, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee, for I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. You see, God himself is the author of all revealed spiritual truth. The Holy Spirit of God is the divine agent who moved holy men of God to speak and record the words of God in written form. He, in that sense, is the author of all Scripture. But the natural man, that is, the person who has not been spiritually reborn by that same Holy Spirit, cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Assessed only from the perception of his secular mind, they appear foolishness to him. The reason is the fundamental difference between the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. When Christ spoke to the Jewish religious leader Nicodemus about the necessity of being spiritually reborn, Nicodemus demonstrated his inability to comprehend what Christ was talking about by his reply, How can these things be? How can a man be born when he is old? And Christ replied, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Your natural mind, Nicodemus, born of the flesh, 
cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit. Those things can be comprehended only by a mind regenerated by a spiritual new birth. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. It is only when a man is spiritually reborn of the Holy Spirit that he acquires the capacity to appreciate and understand the things of the Spirit. This is why a spiritual new birth is the first requisite of those who desire to know and understand the truth of God recorded in the inspired scriptures. The authorship of those scriptures is one of the Holy Spirit's greatest works. To understand them, you need to make the personal acquaintance of their divine author. The Holy Spirit who authored the scriptures is the same Holy Spirit who brings about the spiritual new birth of those who respond to the gospel by receiving Jesus Christ into their lives as their personal Savior and Lord. Apart from the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Once you receive Christ as your personal Savior, and the Holy Spirit takes up His abode within you, He gives you a spiritual enlightenment and understanding that enables you to see the death of Christ on the cross in your place as the greatest of all manifestations of the power of God to save to the uttermost all who believe and in simple faith respond to the good news of the gospel. If the Bible seems to you a closed book that you cannot understand, it may well be because you are trying to comprehend it with your natural mind alone. You may be experiencing precisely what the Scriptures say you will experience, namely, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If that is your problem, why don't you take that wise and all-important step that results in you acquiring a new spiritual nature born of God, that has the capacity to understand and delight in the things of God, including the inspired scriptures, which were authored by the Holy Spirit, and therefore are the one inerrant revelation of eternal truth that this world possesses. My friend, God loves you. That's why Jesus Christ, His Son, died for your sins on the cross, that you might be freed from sin's penalty and reconciled to God for all eternity. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Won't you open your heart and life to Jesus Christ today and invite Him in to be your personal Savior and Lord, if you will, He will not only forgive your sins and give you the priceless gift of eternal life, He will also give you a regenerated mind that will enable you to comprehend and appreciate the inspired scriptures in a way impossible to the natural mind. May God bless you.
Remember to order your copy of the booklet Hope, the Anchor of Your Soul. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7 or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongo.org. So we can share more information.